You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. All right, real quick uh, question. How many of you are Southern Baptists born and raised? Raise your hand, okay? So you've done potluck suppers, right? You've had all kinds of... Okay, um, so that, that's a good batch of you, but there's also a lot of you that uh, come from different denominations or you grew up in a what we call a nun, right? There wasn't a denomination, there wasn't church. So uh, what's interesting about our church right now, and I'll tell you how some of this came about... Um, was I would say it was probably a few months ago was the first time that we would have a membership meeting where people who were loving this church came in and asked a question and then all of a sudden we go through it. They go, oh, wait a minute. This church is Southern Baptist? Ooh. I thought, what? What do you mean, right? It's Southern Baptist. Everything's not normal. Like, you know, you had this kind of, you'd want to kind of, um, you know, defend your family, right? But you also know it, it's kind of difficult. It, it is a lot like... Uh, have you ever had this moment where you can say whatever you want to about your family, but if somebody else starts talking about it, it's a little bit different, right? Um, here, here's the issue we're going to walk through tonight. Um, my heart at the end of all this is to make sure that as a local church, we are right in the center of God's will, doing God's work, and we are committed to that end. And anything that gets in the way of that, uh, would be something that we would address appropriately. Um, so I'm going to walk through some stuff tonight, and I'm going to have to blitz it, so that's why there's not even a lot of fill-in-the-blank stuff, just because I want to make sure you understand. But as we go through it, um, our church, obviously, we are affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention for the sake of fulfilling the Great Commission. Why do we align together? Right there, folks. We want to help fulfill the Great Commission to the best of our abilities. Uh, with increasing conflicts within our denomination, we must clarify our church's roles and responsibilities due to this connection. Um, once again, some of you are completely like unaware of what's going on. Some of you have read news. Some of you have been forwarded articles. Uh, and so much so that my personal story typically is that when I started serving in the ministry, um, I just did not have a, a lot of bandwidth or care and concerns for denominational politics, if that makes sense. Plenty enough to do in the kingdom of God, plenty enough to do in the local church. I don't care. All that stuff is typically when you want to get involved in denominational stuff because you're trying to stair step to some type of platform or something like that, and I can just care less about it. Don't have time for it. Don't have any interest in it whatsoever. Um, this year was the first time that I ever went to what's called the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention. Some of y'all are going to be shocked by that. Some of you are like, what is that? It's it's a party with a bunch of Baptists. And you go, that sounds exciting. It's really not. Oh, uh, no. Um, the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention where people from all over in, in the United States get together to kind of discuss where things are. But it was the first time that I went to Nashville and back in one day because I was concerned of what was happening. And I wanted to make sure that I could represent this church and also come back with some firsthand knowledge versus everything you read on the Internet. You know why? Because everything you read on the Internet cannot be trusted. Okay, And, and so with that, I wanted to be in the room. Uh, I wanted to see what was going on. I wanted to get the feel and the pulse of what was happening. And it was very, uh, I think, profitable for my time. On one end, I left very discouraged. And on another end, I left even more encouraged. Okay, So I'm going to walk through with you how that works. But to start out, I wanted to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28 for a second. Because in this list, I'm just going to give you this verse. But the Apostle Paul is talking about all these different things that happen in his life. He's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten. He's been prisoned. He's been near death. He's gotten sick. He's blah, blah, blah. And then he says this verse. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure of me of my anxiety for what? All the churches. 
So, so you go, Paul, you've been beaten and shipwrecked and almost dead and in prison and back and forth. And what is your concern? I'm anxious about not just a church, right? All the churches. If you've read the book of Acts, if you read Paul's letters, what you typically will find certain things is that the Jerusalem church is sending money over to this church. And this church is sending a missionary over to help this church. And so-and-so is in prison and can't get to it, so this group sends a, a body over to help these people. It wasn't just the, the First Baptist Church of Thessalonica, right? It was the Church of Thessalonica, which meant in different places. And sometimes the Church of Thessalonica is, is connected with the Church of Philippi and all kinds of different things like that happening. And so I, I, I bring this out because... If anybody is wondering what Bible verse there is that comes to a word called denomination, guess what? You're not going to find it. You're not going to find denominations in the Bible. What you will find are places like this that talks about churches being interconnected for the sake of a greater good. Does that make sense? So, so interconnected for a greater good. So let's talk real quick about the history, uh, especially as it relates to Southern Baptists. Um, Let's at least start at the very, very beginning. The early church was loosely organized but uniquely focused, okay? When I say early church, I'm talking Acts chapter 2, folks, okay? The early church, the very beginning of Acts, it was loosely organized. And you go, what do you mean? Well, Jesus has just left. They're thinking he's coming back at any moment. They're hiding out in, in rooms and, and not sure of what they can do. Jesus has told them to go to the nations, and they're hanging out in Jerusalem, right? They're They're kind of scattered. There's... They had depended upon Jesus for so long, but now all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes in and empowers them. But they're, So they're uniquely focused on a task, and what was that task? So that people would know Jesus. Okay, Loosely organized, but kind of just uniquely focused around that. Now, since the church's inception 2,000 years ago, people have formed denominations to deal with differing levels of disagreement regarding belief and behavior. Okay, So since that original church that started and grew... Uh, from a group of disciples in the upper room to 3,000 people who were baptized on Pentecost to what it is today, over the last 2,000 years or so, denominations have um, sprung up because you get to a place where there's a big enough difference, right? Sometimes in belief, sometimes in behavior or practice that we go, okay, we, we can't see eye to eye. And as, as you break down this, there are some groups that are very, very different, right? Okay, very, very different. Uh, and, and yet there's some that are, well, we just don't see eye to eye on something like infant baptism. Okay. You go, is that a big deal? It's, it's a deal, but it's not as big of a deal as other things. Right. And so that's where a lot of these denominations break off. So a lot of people go, man, even the, the, the reality of denominations is such a sad sign of the way the things the church are. But I go, sometimes they're necessary, right? Sometimes they're necessary to make sure there's distinct groups. So if we think, even going back there, in, in 1517, right, uh, Protestants were protesting the troublesome practices of the Roman Catholic Church and reforming it to biblical models. If you've heard of the Protestant Reformation, the word Protestant means this, we protest. What do we protest? What was happening in the Roman Catholic Church? Uh, the selling of indulgences, the improper doctrine, the kind of cover-up and abuse of power, those types of things. There were a group of people that protested that, and therefore Protestants, and you go, what are Protestants? It's this group of denominations that we fit under, Baptists, Presbyterians, Methodists, all fit under this Protestant denomination. And what it comes down to is they were protesting the troublesome practices that were uh, in the Roman Catholic Church, trying to reform it back to biblical models. It started, uh, we just celebrated its holiday last week, right? October 31st, 1517, you think it was Halloween, it's actually Reformation Day, right? Where Martin Luther went and got a, took a hammer to church 
And he, and he tacked on 95 theses on the, the door of this church, basically says this, this is what I have against this church and what it's against the, the word of God and the Reformation started. So here comes this group of Protestants that were formed from it. Now in the 16th and 17th centuries, Baptists were those focused on a conversion experience followed by a believer's baptism. Why did, ba why did Baptists come out as a group? Well, during those centuries, there was a big focus on uh, if someone is baptized, it needs to be after their personal conversion experience, okay? You're not baptized into the faith because your parents said so. You respond to the gospel, and then you respond in faith to believer's baptism, and that's why we were called Baptists, okay, uh, at that time. A lot of people would say, we go all the way back to John the Baptist, actually, preacher, okay? And that may be true, right? Uh, but really what this is, is that's where it started, um, and, and so that happens, and that, that's kind of going along. That that's kind of what makes the Baptist denomination a little distinct from some other kind of uh, denominations that we're very close to in, in a lot of practice. But then we get down to why are we called Southern Baptist? If you never thought about it, there are Southern Baptist churches in New England. There are Southern Baptist churches in California. Are they in the South, folks? No. So why are they called Southern Baptists? And this is where, if we don't admit there's a black eye on our name and our denomination, we are completely missing the point. Because Southern Baptist Convention was organized in Augusta, Georgia in 1845 due to disagreements with anti-slavery attitudes of Baptists in the North. The denomination is called Southern Baptists because we wanted to be distinct from all the other Baptists that were against slavery. Now, if you've never heard that, that's hard to swallow, folks. It's an ugly part of our past, okay? There were people who wanted to be missionaries who had slaves, and the Baptist board at the time said, we are against slavery, and we don't think this slave owner needs to be a missionary. And so a group of Southern Baptists says, fine, we'll do our own thing. That was in 1845. So if you wonder why we're called Southern Baptists, that's the reason why, right there. Now, is that anybody, anything we go, oh, that's something to be proud of? No, that's just reality, okay? It's part of our story. It's also part of the reason why the word southern for a lot of folks would go, can we just get rid of that? Can we just move on past that? One end because of what it represents in our history. The other end is geographically it doesn't even work anymore. You know, we've got southern Baptist churches all over the United States and the only thing they're doing is because they're a part of this convention. So that being a part of who we are. Now, as we go a little bit further down the line, in 1990, right, um, 1,900 churches left the convention to form the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship due to a conservative resurgence, okay? Some of you might remember this part, right? If you remember some of the other parts, we got to talk, okay, a little bit later, okay? But uh, uh, no, if, if some of you might remember this, uh, this was what was called the conservative resurgence at that time uh, in the 1990s and before. The most um, conservative seminary of all of our Baptist seminaries was Southwestern Seminary in, in Texas, so typically, if you find a pastor who was at a conservative seminary and he's about 50 years or older, he went to Southwestern. If he could go to Southern or Southeastern or New Orleans and put up with the liberal teaching and make it out unscathed, that was pretty miraculous. But there's a reason why all of my mentors in ministry, they all went to Southwestern. Why was it? It was the only one that was close to conservative theology. The seminaries have been infiltrated with liberal teaching for years. So around 1990, or before, actually the 1980s, there was a group of people who figured out a way to take back what they would say is the Southern Baptist Convention. 
Uh, the people who were forming it said we're going to take back what is right and biblical. The people who left said it was a hostile takeover, depending upon which side of their argument you're on, right? Here's what happened. In the Southern Baptist Convention, there's ways to certain position. If you're the president of the convention, you nominate these people, and that group can there appoint these presidents, and presidents can appoint faculty. And so someone said, this is what we've got to do. We've got to get a person with conservative values in this position and start trickling down to take back this thing. And it worked. There's a group of people that are still alive today that are part of what's called the conservative resurgence that had a game of chess that they decided to play to take back all the seminaries and to get it back on the conservative path. It took that route. But in 1990, 1,900 churches from the Southern Baptist Convention left and formed the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, or a CBF church. And you go, how would I know the difference? There are CBF churches here in Greenville County. Okay, I'll give you an example. First Baptist Church in Greenville County is not a Southern Baptist church. They are a Cooperative Baptist Fellowship church. Okay, First Baptist in the city that I'm from in Greenwood, South Carolina, is not a Southern Baptist church. It's a Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. So you can go up and say, they got Baptists on the sign. They believe what we believe. Oh, no, 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 no. No, they don't. Okay, And so this is kind of the, once again, it, it continues to go a little bit further down the line. Now, going along from that, in 2012, the title Great Commission Baptist was adopted as an acceptive, acceptable alternative name. For those within the Southern Baptist Convention, at an annual meeting in 2012, it was voted upon. Uh, there were a lot of people who said, can we just get rid of the name Southern Baptist Convention and be something different? Okay? Now, if we were starting over, Great Commission Baptist, that's a pretty good name, folks, right? Okay? If we're going to be about something, I'm all about for the Great Commission. But people said, well, our legal name is this, and we can't actually change this. And you know, if we change this, it's going to be a lot of money to change stationery. Is it worth the cost and whatnot? So in 2012, the messengers that joined together for the annual meeting said, if you want to be called a Southern Baptist Church, that's fine. If you'd also like to be called a Great Commission Baptist Church, you can go either way, and we know which team you're on. Does that make sense? Okay? So you say, well, Pastor Travis, where are you on that? Well, where do you guys think I'm on that, right? I, I know that we are a Southern Baptist Church, but if I was talking to someone who's seen everything that's in the news, I got no problem saying, what are we about? We're about the Great Commission here, folks. That doesn't mean we're a different group. It doesn't mean we're turning liberal. It doesn't mean we're turning this. We're just saying we want to be about those right things. And so if you, if you hear a church that says they're a Great Commission Baptist Church, that's where this is coming from because of the scar that, and the black eye that's really appropriated around this time. Go a little bit further. In recent years, volatile cultural disagreements have infiltrated the denomination and created numerous factions desiring very different changes. Okay? So the last few years is 2012. Um, if y'all haven't been aware, the last 10 years or so, there's a lot of volatile cultural disagreements. Amen? A lot of stuff. Politics, racism, you name it. And what's happened is that has infiltrated its way into the denomination, and we're not acting Christianly towards each other. In fact, people are coming in more as Republicans or Democrats than they are child, children of God. They're coming in more part of this ideology or this ideology from, the, from a biblical framework. And we bring that trash into it, and all of a sudden, we're not talking like the people of God. We're talking like the culture, and we're just trying to baptize our lingo, right? And it's not working. So as we look at it, let me give you a few distinctions of, of who we are as Southern Baptists, or Great Commission Baptists, if you will. Here's what you need to know. There are currently more than 50,000 Southern Baptist cooperating churches and church-type missions. 50,000, folks. Does anyone want to take a guess out of 50,000 how many Southern Baptist churches there are in South Carolina? Not churches. Southern Baptist churches just in South Carolina. You ready for this? 2,100 churches. Southern Baptist just in South Carolina. That's a lot, right? That's a huge number, especially when you look at 50,000 
all across the level are just what we have. There's 50,000 Southern Baptist cooperating churches. 2,100 of them are South Carolina. Um, though as many as 200 can be counted as mega churches, the vast majority run less than 200 in weekly worship. If you've heard the term mega church, that means this. You have an average worship attendance of 2,000 people or more every weekend. So out of 50,000 Southern Baptist churches, there's only about 200 that can be counted as that. The majority of them have less than 200 in weekly worship. So in 2,100 Baptist churches in South Carolina, guess how many of them are actually being served by a bivocational pastor? I have no idea. I've asked. I haven't got the number yet. Okay, but I think, I think it's over half. If you look at, honestly, where things are going, if I think about people that are around, so all these smaller churches that are kind of struggling to keep their, their doors open, right? We talked through the cooperative program as the financial fuel that churches collect to do more together. So as a church, one of the things that brings us together, and especially if you think back to the time of the Great Depression, the cooperative program was born. Why? Because if we don't come together, we're not going to get the missionaries on the field. So let's see if we can pull some resources together. And uh, we want to help people get on the mission field. And, and so the cooperative program was born. And so now what happens if you're a part of a Southern Baptist church, you give to what's called the cooperative program. So let me tell you where Rocky Creek is. 9% of every dollar that comes into an offering here goes outside of the cooperative program right away. 9%. So if you think about it, there's $100 given, $9 goes to the um, Southern Baptist Convention through the cooperative program. Um, a lot of people would say, like, you know, 10% is a tithe. We are at the high end of a 9% is, is amazing compared to what other churches give. It's a very noteworthy gift, what our church does right now at 9%. Now, what does that um, fuel? I'm glad you asked. If you look at this, okay, this chart's going to be a little bit hard for some of you to read. It's kind of hard for me to read, too, but I'm, I'm going to give you this. This is the South Carolina cooperative program, just so you know. When we get collections together and we give money to the cooperative program, it first goes to the South Carolina Baptist Convention before it hits the Southern Baptist Convention. Follow me? So if you go uh, off Greystone Boulevard in Columbia, South Carolina, right across from Riverbank Zoo, there's this building called the South Carolina Baptist Convention building over there on the left side there. The money goes to the state and then it goes to the national level. So let me tell you what happens when it goes there. Um, if you look on the left side, 31% of whatever we give automatically goes to South Carolina Baptist Convention Missions and Ministries. Okay, So part of that goes directly into the state. Uh, that is um, church plants within our state, ministries within our state, different mission efforts in our state. If you go down to the bottom in that green, 25% of what we give automatically goes to, guess what? International Mission Board. Get the missionaries on the field. So when we give a dollar, if you will, a quarter of that goes to the IMB. Pretty good investment, right? Okay, a quarter of everything that we go to that goes straight to it. If you go down to the um, yellow, 9.35% goes to the North American Mission Board. 8.94% goes to seminaries. I'm going to go up to the top blue over there on the right. 22.83% goes to South Carolina Baptist Ministry Partners, which is Anderson University, Charleston Southern University, North Greenville University, Connie Maxwell Children's Home, Ministry for the Aging, uh, Women's Missionary Union, and the Baptist Courier. Okay, so all these entities, some of you still have the Baptist Courier, right? All this stuff, we, we help support that so that, like, say, for example, a good Baptist education can be done at a much more reduced cost, even though it's still expensive, folks. It's a lot cheaper than what it could be if you didn't do that. 
And then 2%, that other SBC support includes the Executive Committee, which we'll talk about in a little bit, the ERLC, which is the Ethics Religious Liberty Commission, and the Historical Library. That's how a dollar breaks down, okay, when we give the cooperative program, okay? So with that, you go, that, that's a lot of stuff there. Within that is disaster relief. Within that is orphan care. Within that is international missionaries, church plant support, you name it. There's a lot of stuff that goes into it. Everybody understand so far? Y'all are doing good, I promise. Okay, um, let's keep going here. So the convention assigns and conducts this work through 11 ministry entities. We're talking big picture here again, right? The top of the Southern Baptist Convention, more than South Carolina. Here's what we got. Um, first and foremost is the International Mission Board, or the IMB. If you are old school Baptist, it's not the IMB. What was it used to be called? Foreign, Foreign Mission Board, right? Okay, the Foreign Mission Board. And the North American Mission Board, or NAM. those are our two mission-sending agencies. Let me just tell you something about them real quick. Um, I have friends who just got back off the field from uh, missionaries as in Indonesia. They have not gone with the IMB. And they are jealous of all of their friends that are missionaries in IMB in Indonesia because they said IMB takes care of their missionaries better than anybody. That process is an incredible machine. Is it perfect? No. But we send out missionaries to literally every corner of the world, and missionaries don't have to raise their support. They don't have to worry about their insurance. They don't have to worry about if they're in danger. There's going to be somebody that's going to come and get them and take care of them, all because we support that. It's an incredible ministry organization. North American Mission Board is about church planning within the United States and doing ministry here in the United States. They have revamped tremendously over the last decade or so how they do it, focusing on some of these urban cities that are spreading out throughout uh, the United States to get the work done. Next spot of where we support when we give to the cooperative program, uh, I don't know if you knew this or not, but we have six Southern Baptist National uh, Seminaries. Um, Gateway Baptist, which is... Uh, over there in California, Midwestern, obviously in the middle of the country there, New Orleans. Southeastern is the one that's in North Carolina, right, Wake Forest. Southern is in Louisville, Kentucky, originally from Greenville, South Carolina, right, uh, was, the, was the first seminary here in Greenville, then it moved up to Louisville. And then Southwestern, which is the one in the deep part of Texas, okay? Um, we also have something called the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, the ERLC, and what this does is it's an office for us to help to think how we live culturally in the United States of America on political issues, on uh, just cultural divides. How do we live as citizens within this country? Next is Lifeway Christian Resources. How many of you were in a gospel group today and you talked about Abraham and Isaac? Anybody? Okay, most everybody in here, guess what? That's a Lifeway resource that, we, that we're a part of. So they do curriculum, they do camps, they do events. They are a publishing a part of what we do. Uh, and it used to be called the Sunday School Board. Isn't that right, the name of it, right? Sunday School Board back in the day. It's now called Lifeway. Um, next is Guidestone Financial Resources. is another part which is all about kind of financial uh, insurance and retirement stuff for pastors and missionaries and that kind of arm of way things do in Southern Baptist world. Uh, the Women's Missionary Union, no men allowed, guys. Okay, but this is, no, a group that has gathered around that these women do so much around the world, uh, locally, globally, you name it, but gathering together to make sure that women are put on mission and focused in. Uh, I was talking to a missionary friend recently. He just said, oh, the WMU just sent us a packet here. Oh, we just love them so much. Just doing incredible work as they go. And then the SBC Executive Committee, uh, if you go, what in the world do they do? They are... Um, have fiduciary responsibility to the Southern Baptist Convention. It basically means this. They are to make sure that the financial matters of the Southern Baptist Convention are done in the right way 
when the annual meeting is not gathered together, okay? So we met in June, and there was a lot of votes happening, and I'm throwing my ballot up, yes and no and whatnot, and then all of a sudden, when that annual meeting's done, the executive committee goes back, and they enact those decisions that the messengers decided on. Make sense? Okay? So they, they, they come together. The executive committee is, is made up of people from all over. It's like 86 people on this committee. You go, oh, my gosh, that sounds awful. There are 86 people on the committee. There is an office in Nashville for people who, who work there. And then the committee, though, that kind of drives that are all volunteers in those positions. Make sense? So there's people who have an office there. Uh, but then there's also people who are volunteers that are effectually make up that committee. Now, um, now we got all that through. No questions. Good. Awesome. Let's go. Connection next. Um, here's how this works. All churches are affiliated but autonomous bodies of local believers. What autonomous means this. We are self-governing, which is very different. If you go to different denominations, it's top-down leadership. The... The Pope has decided this, right? The bishop has decided this. The hierarchy of this denomination has decided this, and everybody's got to do this. You talk to different denominations. I talk to somebody who's in a different denomination. If their church doesn't go along with where the denomination is, guess who actually owns the building? The denomination does, not the church. So if they don't get within, start towing the company line in this denomination, they're going to lose the building and somebody else is going to go in there. There's no autonomy, right? So the Southern Baptists have built themselves on autonomy, right? We are affiliated together, but we have the right to do whatever we decide to do. Now, can anybody see where that could lead into a problem, right? Because if you got 50,000 autonomous churches, you think everybody's running the same place at the same time? Not a chance. So this is where the issue comes. When has someone stepped out of bounds, and when can we call them on the carpet? Okay. When is something gone out outside the lines that, that needs to be addressed? Now, churches align at different levels for ministry cooperation. So we are Rocky Creek, right? We are a local church, autonomous. We are self-governing. Nobody tells us how to do anything, okay? That's what makes us distinctly Baptist. Bio. Okay, like we, just, we can do our own thing, right? We decide on our own, however we want to go. So that's why you have some churches that are we vote on everything from the color of the carpet who our next pastor is. And there's some churches that go, this group decides everything and all kinds of different variations of it, right? Then we're a part of something called the Greenville Baptist Association. That's called an association and they're around a group of churches. And I'll just say this, we have a really good Baptist Association. A lot of good cooperating churches together. Then we have a state level, the South Carolina Baptist Convention. That's where all the churches come together, the 2100 in South Carolina. And then we've got the Southern Baptist Convention of 50,000 churches. Anybody confused there? Let me tell you, I had an opportunity to speak to some of these folks recently uh, that make a lot of decisions at the state level. And I said, can I tell you where my, my trouble is as a local church pastor? I have a vision, I feel like, for our church of what we need to do. And I'm kind of figuring out what's the best way for us to do that. And we're coming together and praying and seeking the Lord. But at the end of the day, the Greenville Baptists, they decide, you know what, this is how we can do stuff. But the South Carolina Baptists, they also have another plan. And the, the national level, they have a different plan. And I'm going, which one do I go with? And that's why some just disconnect altogether or they just decide I'm going this route. And one of the things that I've been pushing for is, hey, what could even happen in our state if the state and the associations just got on the same page together, Right. And what could happen if instead of this program and this program, what if we all got together? But we align at different levels. So as a church, obviously, we do work here. We support things going on at Greenville Baptist Association level. We go uh, support at the state level and also at the national level. 
How are all these different churches kind of pulled together through one document that is a belief statement that's very important called the Baptist Faith and Message? It contains essential doctrines for what it means to be biblically Baptist, okay? I'll say this, Baptist Faith and Message, if you've never read it, it's real, real simple, but here's what we believe the Bible says about God, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about marriage, about all these different items that you go through, and it just says, this is what we believe. These are the main things, right, that we're on, and you can vary on other stuff, but to be Baptist, you've got to agree to this stuff, okay? It's foundational Christian doctrine. I don't think it's anything crazy. It's just this is who we are uh, as believers in Jesus Christ. Now, here are the problems, okay? It sounds like we got a lot of them. Here we go. Due to the allowance of significant variation from church to church, inevitable disagreement is bound to happen, right? Because we allow such variation between church to church, we are opening ourselves up for a lot, a lot of dysfunctional disagreements. So what takes place is that if everybody has their right to autonomy and self-governing ways, what happens when this church thinks that church is out of line? What happens when this church thinks that institution is out of line? And we all start talking back and forth, and everybody has the same amount of voice. It becomes very complicated. Much of the conflict is driven by secondary issues distracting us from primary causes. Much of it. Not all of it, but a whole lot of the conflict is due to this. We are majoring in the minors, folks. We are letting secondary things drive primary issues, and, and we just miss it. If you think about it, unfortunately, Baptists have taken the cultural cue to stereotype anyone who disagrees with a set belief as an exaggerated variance, okay? Now, what I mean by that, um, have you realized that in our culture right now, um, okay, let me just give you a, oh, why don't we just go there? Okay, um, <laughs> In our culture right now, if you decide that you do not want to get a vaccine, that stereotypes you to an exaggerated level that you don't love people and you only care for yourself, right? I'm not asking for amens. I'm not asking for us all raise hands. I'm just saying we stereotype, oh, you don't do what I do? Well, you're over there now. And it's not like, okay, well, I'm over here. It's like, no, you're in the far corner now. If it's an issue of race, right, here's the issue. If you show compassion to someone in a different racial thing, you're going to be labeled as a woke person who believes in CRT and da 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 all this kind of stuff. And you go, or could I just be compassionate? Can it not be that? No, no, no. It's forced way in the corner on all these issues. Let me tell you the big disagreements right now over the last few years that have dealt with the Southern Baptist Convention. First is the issue of salvation. Uh, the line here, you can believe that God is sovereign and man is responsible this comes right down to the issue of something called Reformed theology or Calvinistic theology, which some of you would know those words, some of you believe those words, some of you reject those words. Let me tell you what that it really comes down to. Um, Calvinistic or Reformed theology is a belief that God elects people, that he is sovereign over salvation. And yes, even within that group of thinking, you have people who think, you know what, nobody really has a chance to choose or not choose or whatever. You're just kind of, if God wants you, you get it in that side. And then I also know some people who hold those beliefs that are some of the most evangelistic people in the world. But guess what happens? We stereotype anybody who says they're a part of that belief system as, well, you don't care about the lost people. That's unfair. We cannot do that. We look at somebody and go, well, they believe differently that y'all are a bunch of those people over there. No, we can't do that. 
some of the most evangelistic people and most mission-minded people I know are people who would say they're Calvinist. And you go, well, how can that be? Because we cannot put stereotypes on people that are part of the body of Christ. That's what the world does. We're not going to play those games. Second issue, if you're not aware, is a little bit of a problem. It's called politics, folks. Let me tell you where the balance is. You can love your country and carefully align with political parties. Notice I said carefully align. Okay? Because here's where the issue has been in recent years. Um, I know this hasn't been polarizing at all, but uh, especially around the issue of President Trump was a huge dividing factor in the Southern Baptist Convention. Not an issue, not an issue of where the Southern Baptist Convention stood on conservative beliefs on an issue with how well you can vocally support a man who is doing immoral things. That's the issue. And so what happened was there's a huge conflict that some people said, yeah, but out of the options, I think this is the right guy. That's fine. But when you start making the church in your politics and there's no dividing line between it, you get in trouble, folks. This is the Southern Baptist Convention. This is not the Republican Convention. This is not the Democratic Convention. This is a group of believers who say we are going to live and think biblically and we don't have to toe any party line. Now, does that make sense? Okay. Now, it doesn't mean anything like, oh, you can't support. No, no, no. So what happens is, is if you support this man, then all of a sudden that means you're doing all these people over here. Or if you go, hey, everybody, caution. I'm fine with him wanting to be your president, but he's also not a godly role model that we need to put out there for people. I think we're all mature enough to say that, right? And so what happens is that they stereotype and everybody goes, so if you told anybody that you need to reconsider how you're voting or how you're supporting, that means, oh, so you're a Democrat. Oh, that means you're a liberal. No, it may just mean that I want to vote with integrity. And so you can say, uh, folks, I think it's completely fine and appropriate in this room even for us to say there are certain things that you may agree with the person and yet you are mortified by sometimes what people do, right? And, and, and there was the inability to do that. If you had to be all in or you completely against and you got labeled and stereotyped and, and pushed into a corner. The other issue was racism. Folks, you can be compassionate to other ethnicities without accepting dangerous ideologies. Okay? This is what's broken my heart more than anything. If I say, and I haven't, I haven't felt this here, okay? But if I am to say from a pulpit or if I write a blog post article or I do anything like this, if I show any signs over the last few years of, hey guys, you know what we might need to be compassionate about is that if a loved one has been shot and killed and murdered in the streets, that we need to allow them to weep and mourn and we need to befriend them and not tell them why they shouldn't cry and why this thing happened. And to do that means, oh, okay, so you're one of those now. One of what? Someone who loves people the way that Jesus loves people? Okay, you, you label me that if you want to. I'll be fine there. To be able to make a stand against racism meant, oh, now that, that completely unpacks all your theology in it and associates you in it, right? So right now, in the Southern Baptist Convention, if you say, I'll give you an example, a discussion I heard. You know what? Uh, we are trying to have a more racially diverse convention, and all there is is a bunch of old white men on this committee. Maybe we need to think outside of just old white men on this committee, you know what gets labeled? Oh, y'all are woke now. You believe in CRT, critical race theory. Oh, you're just sort of buying the cultural, you know, the, you're cancel culture now. Or are we just saying 
that we are made up of a convention of red and yellow, black and white, and guess what? There probably should be representation on all those kind of things. Just be wise about it. That doesn't mean that you're buying into some type of situation. So even let's, 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 let's go here for a brief moment, right? The statement, Black Lives Matter, is different than the movement, Black Lives Matter. If you really unpack it, so for someone to say, hey, I'm concerned about what's happening in our culture and whatnot and, and the grief that people are going through, the organization of Black Lives Matter says at their heart, it was down on their mission statement, but then when it got exposed, they took it down off their website to expose and to completely deconstruct a patriarchal society, which means this, we don't need men or fathers in the home. And that's not on the website. It was there originally. It was completely against this. Now you go, now for me, can I say that I believe that black lives matter? Absolutely I can. Do I believe in the organization? Absolutely I do not. And we go, oh, if you care, if you're compassionate, put you in this corner, and it caused the division to even go further. We got an issue of gender, right? You can have a complementary theology and reject um, misogyny, okay? And you go, those are big words. What does that mean, Pastor? I'm so glad you asked. Okay. Complementarian theology means this, that male and female complement one another. They don't have to be exactly alike. So there are certain things in the home, certain things in society, certain things in church. I am thankful to God that this society is not made up of all men. And all the women said, amen. Right, okay, right? Um, all the men said, amen, right? So I can say that I believe that when God makes someone, just like even Jesus said, if you will go, Jesus never talked about this. He said, from the very beginning, God made them male and female. Amen. He's got no problem saying that. He's very clear on it. He made them male and female. And he says, these two come together as one for life. And so they complement one another, right? So the problem is this. Because, unfortunately, there have been so much devastating mistreatment to women in our society and, unfortunately, in our churches and our denomination that if you espouse to a complementary theology, they think you're all about demeaning women, misogyny, Right? obstructing women, putting them down, going, or could we actually put them up to the level where they need to be in God-honoring? And so, folks, you can respect and um, esteem women, and that doesn't mean, as labeled in our convention, if you say, you know what, we have some women leaders in our church that really need to be able to go and just be a part of our church. Oh, so you want women pastors. Nobody said that. No one said that. There's, there's all these differences. Once again, stereotype, pushing in the corners, and we just don't listen to cut our agenda, we push everybody out. The issue as it relates to abuse is the major thing that's come up in recent years. Um, in the area of, of abuse, and we'll get to it in a little bit, there is a, um, the situation that has come up in recent years is the ex exposure of how many sexual abuse cases have happened in Southern Baptist churches and institutions. And the disagreement comes in now, and what happened at the annual meeting is this. Well, we care for the victims. And then some people said, yeah, but if we care for them at that level, guess what's going to happen to our financial status as a convention? What's going to take place? We're going to have to pay out all these claims, and our insurance is going to be bombed, and all, and all these lawyer fees. What are we going to do? Here's where I'm at. You can care for a victim and do what's best for a convention at the same time. Because if wrong has been done to somebody who's been made in the image of God, we make it right, folks. That's what we do. Uh, if it happened and it's going to cost money to make it right, you make it right. And hopefully it's going to make sure it doesn't happen again. 
yeah, but that's going to be more money away and we're going to have to go through all this kind of stuff. It should have never been done in the first place. And, and so this is what it comes down to, the resolution on this issue, because this is the major one that's been making the news recently, okay? The conservative resurgence, once again, back what happened in the 80s and 90s, was a, battle, was a battle for biblical inerrancy. The Bible is true, right? There's no errors in it. We are now fighting for ministry integrity. Will we do the right thing at certain cases? Or will we take the easy route? That is what is honestly in front of us now. So if that was the argument back then, if that was the issue, this is a new one now. In 2019, an article in the Houston Chronicle newspaper published an article with 700 sexual abuse victims within Southern Baptist churches and organizations over the last 20 years. That's 700 too many. I had someone tell me, well, 700 out of 50,000 churches over 20 years, that's not that many. One is too many. It needs to be stopped. It needs to be addressed. It needs to be exposed. And the people who did it or brushed it under the rug need to be held accountable. There's no excuse for it. That's only 700 we found out about, by the way, right? How dare the Houston article print this... Thank God that they did to expose it, and let's get to work what we need to do. And here's the issue, right? Um, any of you guys seen what happened with all the scandals within the Roman Catholic Church because of sexual abuse unaddressed for years and years and years, right? So here's the opportunity, Southern Baptist. Now we have the opportunity. Will we do what's right now? We have not done what's right in the past. we got a lot of scars in our past. Will we do what's right right now? So one of the things that happened was uh, Pastor J.D. Greer, who's pastor up... Um, at Summit Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. He was the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And just so you know this, the president is a voluntary, about two-year position that a pastor typically will get. They will be in this position. They don't get any money for it. All they get is headaches uh, and stress, okay? Um, so there's a staff that works in the Nashville office, a part of the executive committee, but there's a president elected by all the messengers of the meeting, right, the annual convention, he was put in the president at this time, and he began to pressure those in leadership who had covered up for these crimes. So what he started doing was he looked at 700 churches and said, so church, so, so and so, I don't care how big you are. I don't care how much you've given to the cooperative program. I don't care how many buddies you've got in the system. What have you covered up that this guy abused a kid in your youth group and you let him continue to serve? That's what happened. And guess what happened as a result of that? You start pressuring people, and there's a good old boy system that pushes back. So certain leaders from the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention encourage caution in pressuring these churches and organizations. When I would say encourage caution, some of the things that we read, and you have to be so careful here, some of it is downright intimidation, if not manipulation, and all kinds of other stuff that was taking place in there to cover up for these crimes. So what take place as it continue to grow, COVID hits, we can't address the issue, so it just kind of festers a little bit, that key departures from people within the Southern Baptist Convention in 2021 raised the awareness of growing conflict. There were certain um, minority pastors in the convention that said, I'm just done. I tried. I'm just exhausted by it all. I don't want anything to do with it anymore. Um, Beth Moore, lifelong Southern Baptist, has probably... Um, made more money for Lifeway than anybody in the history of all Lifeway because all of her Bible studies that so many churches would use. Um, she was viciously attacked on social media. Um, 
in such a way that I, I'll just say this. A lot of people will label stuff. People would say, she's a heretic. I've never heard or read anything that she has ever put out that's heresy. Somebody may can show me wrong. I've never seen it or heard it. I've heard a lot of people label it. Uh, but because of a lot of misogyny and downgrading comments, and some of it was just downright crass and despicable, she said, I'm out. I'm just done with it. And it was a major hit for a lot of people who really loved and respected her. There's also someone called, uh, named Russell Moore, who is the president of the Ethics Religious Liberty Commission, who had cautioned everybody in the 2016 election to make sure they did not check their integrity at the political door, that had received death threats, his children had uh, experienced defamation of his, their dad's character at school and all kinds of stuff. And he finally just said, I'm out. And after he left, right before this year's annual meeting, someone on the board of trustees or someone in the office who had emails that uh, accounted for how he had been mistreated, intimidated, and gone through some stuff, some things got leaked. Some emails had been sent, some audio recordings of certain things came out. And you heard voices of people in the Southern Baptist Convention said, I know what's going on with sexual abuse is wrong, but we also got to make sure we take care of the base. What does that mean? Don't upset all these people who give to this program. I know it's wrong, but we got to be careful here. And as a result of that, that's why I went to Nashville. <laughs> that's why a lot of us said, okay, if we're going to go, we want to make sure because there are different people who are going to be president. Once again, not a staff position, but a very key role in who gets to appoint different people to different situations. And there were a lot of people behind the scenes playing chess, doing all kinds of stuff. So what happened was... At the 2021 annual meeting, the messengers voted to waive third-party privilege and have an independent investigation to the matters of sexual abuse. Okay? Now, let me unpack what all that means. I was in the room when the executive committee, made up of these 86 people and the staff in Nashville, said, here's eight recommendations of what we want all Southern Baptists to vote on. Number one, y'all vote for, whoo, number two, number three, and they get to number six, and then all of a sudden there's a question from the floor, and it opens up a can of worms that basically goes down to this issue. How are we going to investigate that there's a claim that people on the executive committee has covered up churches and organizations on the Southern Baptist Convention that have brushed sexual abuse under the rug? And the, the issue was they wanted to use internal investigation to investigate the matter. Now, folks, how do you think an internal investigation is going to take place in a matter like that, right? You bring your friend, the lawyer, to the situation, you know what's going to happen. So I saw in the middle of a room 15,000 of us. I'm sitting on the floor because I can't find a seat. Okay, I'm sitting on the floor, and some pastor stands up to microphone number, whatever it was, and says, I got a suggestion. How about... We waive third-party privilege, which basically means this. We don't have the right to see who the lawyer is, and when he goes in, the truth is exposed and it's put out there, and we just got to deal with whatever happens. Well, executive committee huddling up, we can't do that because of this kind of stuff. So what we're going to say is we're going to vote to do it the way that we said to do, or the other vote is to go this. So how many of those in favor of the executive committee? And out of 15,000 people, I think I saw 20 votes go up. And in a moment, there is a literal gasp in the air. Went, <gasps> How many of you are in favor of opening this thing up and realizing that whatever comes up, we're going to have to deal with, and the majority of the messengers went up and said, we're going to do the right thing. Overwhelming. Overwhelming. To where the executive committee stood back from the microphone and said, we don't need to give you the next three recommendations because we get the signal. There's no trust in leadership here. 
As a result of that weekend, a lot of stuff took place and happened, and I was thankful to be in the room when I felt like, this is when I really did believe in the convention, one pastor in the room changed the whole course of how that thing went down. Whole thing how it went down. So I believe in the system a lot more than what I did. Um, at the conclusion of the meeting, the exec, after the conclusion of the meeting, the executive committee voted not to follow the will of the messengers due to financial concerns over the loss of insurance to handle claims. So 15,000 messengers representing 50,000 churches that make this not a top-down organization but a bottom-up organization, they got in the room, someone brought their private lawyer in, went into executive session, and scared everybody in there to say, if you go down this route, not only could the convention lose money, so could you. You're a fiduciary now. Somebody that's been abused by a church could actually sue you. So you really want to vote down on this route, or would you like to protect the financial institution of the Southern Baptist Convention? At that point, they took a vote, and the vote went in something that has never happened in almost 200 years of Southern Baptist life. The executive committee defied the will of the messengers. The only time in history it's ever happened. They said, no, we're not going to do it. We're responsible to carry it out when y'all aren't in session. We decided not to. So... They, there was such a big deal about it, they called together a second vote. The second vote did not go well. There were new lawyers entertained. And part of the discussion was, hey, we don't want to keep losing money on all these lawyers. And I'm thinking, why do you keep inviting them to the party then? Because somebody's spending money on these guys. They're, they're billable hours. I know what they cost, right? Okay. So what happened after that was a grassroots movement of concerned leaders pressured the executive committee to do the right thing. I mean, my grassroots, what happened as you go through it, there are a lot of people very frustrated with this, and I'll just speak very candidly to, to you folks. Um, I called some people in the state and said, I cannot continue to give the way that this church is given and look at people in my church that have been abused sexually and say that I had the chance to do the right thing and I failed to do it. I will not. I cannot. So I'm asking you, what's a good path for me? Because I can't go to this route anymore. I'm not going to support an office that has been elected and put in position and paid for by all these churches and saying, we know what you said, but we're going to do differently anyway. I cannot support it. And so they were like, oh, no, 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 don't drop out of the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm, like, I'm not dropping out of the convention. I'm just saying I'm not funding this madness anymore. I'm going to do whatever I can in my power, and I know we're just one of 50,000 churches. It may not be a big deal. As a result, what took place, we uh, got gathered together um, the 20 leading churches that give to the Baptist Convention uh, on a Zoom call, and within about an hour and a half meeting, uh, a lot of stuff was discussed, and a lot of things happened out of it. As a result, I kind of discussed where my heart was, other people pitched in, and then all of a sudden, within a few moments, we said, how about we all just come together and say, we will make a stand, and we're going to do the right thing if these folks will not. And so we were, our, our thought, our, our way we did it, we got together, and we wrote a letter, and 20 uh, Baptist pastors in this area signed it. We sent it out on a Thursday. By Thursday afternoon, what happened in the social media world is that everybody else started pressuring their state conventions. All right, Tennessee, where are you at? Texas, when are you going to do something? When I knew that evening that Delaware had signed on, we were like, we got Delaware. <laughs> like a political map. It, just, it was happening all over the place. It was crazy. Um, we're sitting this thing just un unfold. And as a result took place, there was enough pressure. And I hate to say this, folks. But if you're only concerned about money, guess what the only thing you're going to listen to is? So, um, 
As your pastor, I did not say or do anything outside of my jurisdiction, but I did say this. I will lead our congregation to continue to give to the International Mission Board, to continue to give the South Carolina Baptist Convention, to continue to give to seminaries. I just will not fund this group right here. We will find a way around it, and I will not support this. And a bunch of other churches followed suit. And as a result, the executive committee had a third vote. And guess what happened this time? They voted to do what the messengers said they should do. As a result, I think about eight to ten executive committee members have resigned. And the lead, uh, the executive director, the, the, the guy who has his office in Nashville, and his vice, his number two guy, they have both left their position as well now. And they are out of their position because they said they do not want to be a part of this. And I don't know if it's due to pressure. I don't know if it's cover up. I really don't care at the end of the day. I just want to do what's right. And I know there's been a lot that's been done wrong, but I want us to do right. And I cannot look at anyone who's been abused and said that we would continue to support someone who said brush under the rug. Can't do it on my watch. And, and so for that purpose, um, I got a lot more involved than what I ever wanted to get involved. Um, but I also know this, but before the Lord Almighty, I want to be known that my ministry and our church is a ministry of integrity and to make sure that we can look people in the eyes that have been um, uh, hurt and in different ways and make sure we do the right thing. Now, Conclusion, right? Real quick. Because uh, I've been trying to go quick. But I'll say this. As a result of all this, the Southern Baptist Convention or the Great Commission Baptist, whichever one you'd like to go to, which make it a vote tonight, however you want to be labeled. I'm just joking. Okay. Is trending in the right direction regarding the critical kingdom issues. I believe that we are trending in the right direction. I believe that what happened at the annual meeting and as a result because of it and the pressure that happened and the good things that are taking place, I go... That's good, right? It's a good thing that even as Southern Baptists, we're saying, let's admit that our past is really messed up. Let's admit that some things need to be made right. But that doesn't mean to say that something needs to be done right, that somehow we're a part of some cultural group. We're just saying we're a biblical group. We're going to do things God's way at the end of it all. Um, a great majority of the convention agrees on a great majority of the issues. When I sat there with 15,000 other pastors and members of churches from all over this convention, I felt like in that room, there's an old phrase a missionary used to use that they, he gathered together with other people said, I charge the gates of hell with a water pistol with these folks next to me. That's the way I felt. I was like, you know what? Probably majority of people in this room on 99% of the issues, we're aligned. And I just go, let's get after it. Let's, let's do it, right? And there are these kind of issues that I would say, that pushes people to the corner. What I felt in that room from what was said, what was happening and in between things, is this right here. That no faction within the Southern Baptist Convention wants to give up claims to all the good that has been done or could do. I'll say it in a more uh, blunt way. There's a lot of people who threaten to leave the Baptist Convention, but nobody wants to because they don't want to give up that cooperative program kitty money. That's where it comes down to. To start over... Come up with your own new mission board, your own new seminaries. You don't like what's going on, but what are you going to do? Start over? And so there's a lot of people that threaten, I'm going to leave if so-and-so is elected president. I'm going to leave if y'all pass this resolution. And then it gets down to it like, oh, I can't go, though, because I believe in it, and I don't want to give up on what's right. And, and so there's all these different levels of why people stick in the middle of it. Personally, um, I believe in what Rocky Creek can do with the Southern Baptist Convention more than ever. When I... I'm on the phone uh, FaceTiming missionaries all over the world through the IMB. I go, 
This is why I love what I get to be a part of. Tomorrow night in Columbia is our South Carolina Baptist Convention annual meeting. And one of the best things I can't wait to do at 7 o'clock tomorrow night at Columbia at First Baptist, we have an International Mission Board commissioning service. And we're going to put missionaries out there in front, and we're going to pray over them, and they are being sent out to every corner of the world, and I'm going to be crying like a baby. I love it. Just to see, like, this is what we get to be a part of. Like, this is incredible. Think about church planters that are being sent everywhere to know about the faithfulness of the seminaries that once were liberal or now conservative and getting after it. Like, this is going, yes, I believe in this. I just know that in any family, uh, we have sometimes some family crazies that have Twitter accounts, and they make a lot of noise up there. And that's really where the reality of it is. If we come down to it, I am also committed to biblical and ministry integrity and will not stand for anything that threatens that for our church. So here, here's where I stand, and I don't mean like I'm showboating here. I really do mean this. The moment that the Baptist Convention veers off of what Scripture says, Rocky Creek, I know where we stand, right? Uh, the moment this thing gets its eyes off the Great Commission, I know where we stand. And I will not let any of our um, time, resources, money, support be wasted on something that is doing the devil's work rather than Jesus' work. So at the end of it, uh, we are still an autonomous group of Baptists, Great Commission Baptists that come together as a local church affiliated with all these different Baptist entities. But I'll say this at the end of the day, this is where it's at. It's the kingdom of God. When we get to heaven, there will not be a subdivision for just those Baptists over here, right? Or this group over there. We're going to be a part of one thing. And I really do believe this, folks. I do not think there is one better group that is aligned together to help fulfill the Great Commission than what we see right now as far as this collection of Baptist churches. Is it messed up? Yes, in certain areas. But in the majority of areas, there is a lot of beauty and truth and wonderful things that are happening here. And I saw I walked away from there frustrated and yet more believing in it more than I ever could. And also realizing this, a few people that are committed to integrity can change the course of this thing if it gets off course. Praise God, right? It can happen. And so for that end, I don't want to give up all the good that all these different things we're a part of for years is doing. I don't want to just give up and say, okay, people with other agendas can come in and hijack a situation. I want to make sure that we stay faithful to it. So as a church, I just want to let you know that as your pastor, I'm trying to be involved in it as much as I can. going to be at all the meetings um, tomorrow and Tuesday to try to get my handle on what that translates to the state as an association. My commitment here is to this local church above all else and that we stay in track with Jesus more than any other denomination. Make sense? And so to that end, I want us to continue to walk forward. So what I'm going to do, because I did keep you longer. I'm sorry, y'all, I tried. Um, but uh, I'm going to pray for us. And then if you guys have any questions, I'll hang out as long as y'all want to talk about um, Baptist parties, okay? Sound like a plan? So, Father, um, thank you for sending Jesus. And thank you for uh, his death on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven where he would give the great commission to a group of disciples and give the gift of the Holy Spirit into their lives. And the fact that that early church has made it all the way to Greenville, South Carolina is just amazing. Your great commission works, God. And um, we know that the Baptist Convention can rise and fall, that this church could rise and fall, and any of those things could take place. And yet it really, at that end of it, doesn't matter. It's your kingdom's going to go forth with or without any of us. Yet we want to steward our lives, our resources, this church to the best ability we can for great commission fulfillment. So help this church use the influence that we can to make sure that we stay on the right path, to be able to make sure that we don't get um, 
sidetracked in other pursuits to make sure that we don't follow the cultural agenda of stereotyping everybody who doesn't line up with us on every single issue. Help us be people who look like our Father and not like any other type of group in this world. Above all else, we want to be children of the King, doing your work and your will above all else. So Jesus, thank you for this church. Allow us to follow you faithfully in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.